Stephanie for the wonderful music this morning. I tell you, young man visited here a few weeks ago. <clears throat> he he's just off work one Sunday a month, so he can't come regularly. But he said, "Man, he said I love Bear Creek." He said, "I would come just to hear the music." I said, "Well, thank you." <laughs> But uh, I said, I agree. I'd come just to hear the music, too. But you have to endure the preaching as well. So uh, that's just part of it. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm glad you're here this morning. We've been studying the gospel of Mark. I started back, oh, years ago, seems like, preaching through the gospel of Mark. And, uh, and we're up to the eighth chapter now. We're in chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. I'm going to read a longer passage today because I, I do want to get through Mark before Jesus returns. So, uh, <clears throat> so we'll try to, uh, although that could be today, couldn't it? All right, so Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Now, let me just stop right there for a minute and tell you a little bit about Caesarea Philippi. If we ever get to go to Israel, one of the days that we're there, we will travel north, really outside the boundaries of Israel. We'll go right up to the base of Mount Hermon, which is the tallest mountain, and uh, and it's snow-covered year-round. It is a it's a very very high mountain, and from Mount Hermon, water snow melts and springs are in there. And, and the water runs down off that mountain, and it actually feeds uh, the Jordan River. It becomes the source. It's the mouth, you might say, of, or the, the initial point of the Jordan River. And it flows on down into the Sea of Galilee and so forth. Right there at the base of Mount Hermon is Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is famous for a lot of things. From one thing back centuries before Jesus... Uh, it was the center of Baal worship, and there was a major temple there where they actually sacrificed people. They actually sacrificed children to the to the false god of Baal. It was a horrible, horrible thing. But and then later, after Baal worship began to decline, it also became a, a center for Greek worship and the. The uh, god Pan, P-A-N, which was the god of uh, 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 irrational fear. In fact, we get the word panic from it. And uh, there we go, Caesarea Philippi, right up at the very uh, top area, just below Mount Hermon. And, uh, uh, and, and so they, they worshiped this uh, uh, god of, he was the god that was half goat and half Man, you know, really weird, kind of crazy stuff. And he played a flute. I don't know if you a flute, played a flute, and everything like that. And uh, and so there was a temple there to Pan. In fact, if you go there today, they'll actually show you a little statue of Pan, the goat god. And uh, you'll see that right behind what was the temple of Pan, there was an opening, a huge. A hole in the uh, cave there, and they actually called it the gates of hell, the gates of Hades. It's still called that today. If you go over there, you'll even see the signs. It says the, the gates of, 
of hell. And it was the idea that inside this cave, there was an entrance into the underworld itself, and that uh, that was the place that when people died, they went into this place. It was the gates of hell. And then also there at Caesarea Philippi, this is probably more information than any of you wanted, but uh, I've got to let you know I went to seminary. So, uh, uh, but uh, there was also a temple there to Caesar who claimed to be a god. And so among all these, I mean, they had Baal worship, Pan worship, Caesar worship, all of these uh, pagan Gentile uh, 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 worship centers is where Jesus took his disciples. And some people have wondered, why would he take them to Caesarea Philippi? That was Gentile territory. It was pagan territory, and yet it was there that Jesus asked them, the most significant question did he ever ask his disciples. And by the way, I want you to know he's asking us the same question today. So we'll come back to the text now in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus uh, went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? In other words, what's the scuttlebutt around town? What, what are folks saying about me? All of you guys, you're out in the villages. You're, you've talked to your relatives. You've talked to other people. Who do people say that I am? And he asked them, oh, wait a minute, did we skip a verse there? Yeah. And they told him, well, some people Say you're John the Baptist. Now, you remember John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. And some people said, well, Jesus is kind of a, a, a not a reincarnation because they were the same age, but he, he is John the Baptist who has come back to life. Others say you're Elijah. And others say you're one of the prophets like Jeremiah or maybe the prophet that Moses talked about that would come. So he said there, they said there, there, there's lots of talk about who you are, but nobody seems to know for sure. Some people say this, some say that, some say you're a, a prophet, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah. But Jesus then said to them, who do you say that I am? Now, that's our question today. Who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter answered him and said, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. That word Christ, by the way, Christ is a title. It's not a name. Some people think that Jesus Christ is like Nick Harris, and that his first name was Jesus and his last name was Christ. No, the, the term Christ is the, the word Messiah, the anointed one. Peter said, you are the Christ. In Matthew's gospel, he goes on to say, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And then he, Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now, again, Matthew's gospel is a lot fuller here, but... Uh, We'll do that another time. I'll preach through Matthew some decade uh, later, you know, okay? Uh, so then verse 31, 
And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that is he, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and then be killed. And the disciples must have been totally shocked. And then after three days, rise again from the dead. So Jesus told them plainly this. And then he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you, can you imagine rebuking Jesus? And Peter, you know, Jesus says, I want to tell you, tell you plainly that I am the Messiah. In fact, he said in Matthew's gospel, God showed you this. Flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you, but my Father in heaven let you know who I am. And I just want you to know plainly, I'm telling you, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. And then I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. And when he said that, Peter, who had just said, you're the Christ, grabs him by the arm and he took him aside. And he says, uh, come here a minute, Jesus. I need to talk to you about something. And so he takes Jesus over to the side and he began to rebuke him. Now listen. <laughs> but turning, let's see, did we miss verse 32? I think we did. Let's go back to verse 32. Okay, no, that, that was it. He began to rebuke him. Uh, all right, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked, he rebuked Peter. By the way, again, I'm getting, kind of getting Matthew's gospel in here because when Peter took him aside, he said, not so, Lord. That's not going to happen. You're not going to go to Jerusalem, be rejected and crucified. Not going to happen. And then Jesus turned and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Adversary, enemy. Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. It says you're not thinking divine thoughts. You're thinking human thoughts. You're approaching this whole thing from a human perspective, not from God's perspective. And then verse 34, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. And then verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It's a pretty serious question, isn't it? What gain would you have if you gained everything and lost your eternal soul? And what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels.
Well, I realize that's a lot. <clears throat> There's probably four or five sermons in here, but I want to just kind of hit some high points. At the time that Jesus lived, messianic hope was high. People were looking for a Messiah. They wanted a Messiah. We don't have, from the close of the Old Testament with the book of Malachi to the opening of the New Testament with the Gospel of Matthew, there's about 400 years that we call the silent years. Now, they weren't silent as far as history is concerned because lots of stuff happened during those 400 years. And in those 400 years, Israel had temporarily gained their independence through a, a, a revolt called the Maccabean Revolt. These uh, five brothers and a father kind of led a, a revolt against Rome, and they overthrew, I mean, not it wasn't Rome, actually, it was uh, 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 Syria, and they overthrew the, the rulers, and they gained their independence. And they believed that in order for the Messiah to come, the world had to be in a state of great flux and turmoil. And so they were doing everything they could to try to bring in the Messianic kingdom. And then in 63 B.C., 63 years before Jesus was born, Rome came to Israel and conquered Israel. So they lost their independence. They had had it for about a little over 100 years. They had been an independent nation. And Rome came in and crushed them. In 63 B.C., when the Roman general Pompey led the troops of Rome into Israel, into Jerusalem, they slaughtered hundreds of thousands. One writer says millions of Jews. And for the next 60 years, the people of Israel longed for, hoped for, prayed for, waited for the Messiah to come. And they said, it's obvious that we cannot liberate ourselves. We tried it, we did it, but it didn't work. And so now our hopes are in a divine deliverer. We are waiting for someone to come from heaven. And defeat our enemies and set us free and make Israel the center of the world. And all the nations of the world will then bow to Israel. And all the Gentile nations will be destroyed. And Israel and only those who are friendly to Israel will survive. And then Israel will enter into a utopian state. That's what they looked for, they waited for, they hoped for. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm either not explaining this too well or, or there's a cloud 
Everybody getting it okay? Okay, all right. Uh, so this was the Messiah they were looking for. They were looking for a Messiah that would feed the hungry and, and uh, defeat their political enemies and would establish them as a kingdom that would last forever. They were thinking really in terms of material things. They were thinking in terms, they were thinking men's thoughts, not God's thoughts. They weren't thinking about uh, overcoming sin. They were thinking about overcoming the results of sin and escaping the consequences of being human. And so that was the... uh, the backdrop against which Jesus asked this question. Who do people say I am? Well, some say you're you're the Elijah who's going to come back before the Messiah, but some say you're a, a prophet. And then who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, I, you're the Messiah. You are the one we're looking for. We're looking. In fact, we really believe you are going to defeat The Romans. We believe that you are going to be the one that musters up an army or something and defeats the Romans, judges the Gentiles, and establishes Israel as the central kingdom of the whole world. Yay, Jesus. They were so excited. And then Jesus said, well, you're right. I'm the Messiah. But I've got a little surprise for you. I have not come with a sword in my hand. I have not come with nuclear weapons. I have not come to defeat and conquer the Gentile nations. And I have not come to destroy the Romans. But I am the Messiah. And here's how it's going to go. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And Peter, yeah, Jerusalem, that's the place. That's where you got to get it done. And there at Jerusalem, I'm going to be rejected. Rejected. And I'm going to be despised by the rulers. And then I'm going to be killed. Whoa, whoa. killed. And then on the third day, after I've been dead for three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And in doing so, I'm going to defeat the great enemies that you have. Not Rome, that's not really your enemy. Sin is your enemy. I'm not going to defeat the Gentile nations. I'm going to conquer death. That's your enemy. I'm not going to set up the kingdom of Israel to rule the world. I'm going to establish the kingdom of God to rule the hearts of those who will trust in me. This was so counterintuitive to Simon Peter 
it just blew his mind. He said, Jesus, now I know you're Jesus, and I know I'm just a fisherman, but I got to give you a little talking to here, bud. I've got to set you straight. That's not going to happen. I don't know what you're thinking, but here, no, hadn't you read the plan? You're going you're gonna to go to Jerusalem, and you're going to conquer the Romans, and you're going to lead an army. You're going to defeat all the nation, enemy nations of the world, and you're going to set up your kingdom. You're going to be king. And you're going to rule, and all the nations are going to come and bow before you. Now, now that I've got you straightened out, what do you say to that? And Jesus said, well, Peter, I need to give you a little talking to now. No, that's not the way it's going to happen. As a matter of fact, I am going to die. And I am going to rise from the dead. And I am going to establish a kingdom. But it is the kingdom in the hearts of men, not from the thrones of the world. Now, there will be a time. There will be a time. Eventually, there will be a time when there will be a throne and I'll, I'll rule. But right now, I'm ruling in the hearts of men. Would you like to be a part of that kingdom? Well, yeah. Well, then let me tell you. Anyone who will follow me, anyone who will be my disciple, has got to go the same way. You've got to say no to your own self-desires. And you've got to take up your cross. I'm going to take up my cross. You've got to take up a cross. And follow me. And if you're not willing to do that, if you deny me when it comes to that, then you're denied a place in the kingdom. But if you will openly confess and receive me and follow me, then I will openly confess you. Now, here's, here's the question really for us today. It's a question I've been asking myself all this week as I've tried to say this, is that the world has its definition of who Jesus is. What are some wrong concepts of Jesus today? How, what do people think about Jesus? Say, you know, if Jesus said to you, who, who do people say that I am that's not right? What would you say? Uh, he's a good man. Yeah, Jesus is a good man. I think he's, a, he's, he's our example. Jesus said, no, I, I, I didn't come to be a good man and an example. What else? A prophet. Yeah, a lot of people, even the, the Muslims, say Jesus was the second greatest prophet that ever lived. 
No, he was much more than a prophet. What are some other? A great teacher. And indeed, he was a great teacher, but that wasn't mainly. That's not who he is. That's what he did, what he does, but it's not who he is. Some people say he's the rewarder of those who do good, especially that give money, especially if you're listening to a television preacher. You know, he'll, they'll sometimes tell you, you know, you give some money and, and, and God's going to give you money back. Well, that's it's not really what Jesus is saying here. I believe in being generous. I believe that God blesses those who are generous. But he may not bless them in material kind of what they give. Somebody may give money and receive eternal riches. That's even better than getting money back, right? Yeah. Some of you saying amen. <laughs> they say, well, I wouldn't mind having a little money back. Too. But, uh, uh so some people, so there are a lot of views of Jesus. But Jesus said, let me tell you who I am. I have come, for one thing, to reveal the Father. I've come to show you the divine being. I've come to, so that I can say, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I've come to reveal the true picture of who God is. I've come to fulfill perfect righteousness. I've come to do everything that the law demanded and to do it absolutely perfectly. The Bible says in several places that Jesus never sinned. Even Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. And the Bible tells us that he was without sin. But he says, then I've come not just to reveal the Father and to fulfill perfect righteousness, I've come to sacrifice myself for sinners. I've come to die. My purpose in, in coming to this planet is to sacrifice myself willingly. He said later, nobody takes my life from me. The Roman government couldn't touch Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees couldn't touch Jesus unless he willingly gave himself. The Bible says that he gave himself as a lamb before the slaughter. And he could have stopped that whole process any time. I want you to know he's God. And Jesus could have said, even from the cross, he could have said, stop. I'm not going through this. I need a few legions of angels to come down here and turn this place into a, a desert. And they would have come. I personally believe that, and I, I probably based on this, on some books I've read and stories I've read, that the angels in heaven may have been standing with drawn swords and even saying to the Father, just give us a nod. And we'll put a stop to this foolishness. But the father said, sheathe your swords. This is the plan. And there is no plan B. 
This is the plan that my son is to take upon himself the sin of the world. And he is to die in shame and agony because he loves his people. And he died for sinners. But praise God, that's not the end of the story. If that had been the end of the story, if the Bible had left off the last chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it had stopped with the burial of Jesus, it would have been a wonderful story of sacrifice. It would have been a great example of genuine love but there would have been no victory to the story. But the last chapter is there. And on Sunday morning, when the women went out to the tomb, they found the stone was rolled away. And an angel said to them, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen just as he said. He told you. He told you, yeah, that it was going to happen. He told you he was going to be rejected. He was rejected. He told you he was going to die. He did die. But he also told you he was going to rise again on the third day. And he did. And he is alive now to provide divine love in the heart of those who believe. He did not come to set us free from Rome. Rome was bad. But there was a an enemy. There was a uh, one who ha- had greater bondage than Rome. That was sin. He has not come to set you free from Rome. He has come to set you free from sin. From sin. The angel told Mary, you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. From their sin. And your greatest enemy today is not North Korea. They're dangerous for sure. Your greatest enemy is not bullies at school, Austin. You may have some bully you this year. I can't imagine my bullying you, but you better not bully anybody, okay? All right. And uh, your greatest enemy is not your boss at work, although he may be a stinker. Your greatest enemy is not your next-door neighbor, although they may be a stinker. Your greatest enemy is sin. Sin. And you could be set free from all the other things and still be in bondage. If you're not free from sin, it's power and it's guilt and it's punishment. You're you're, You're not any better off. So Jesus said, I've come to provide 
a new heart, divine love in your heart that will give you the ability to love even as I have loved. Give you the ability to love your neighbors, love your brothers, but even love your enemies. And it is a divine love that is so great that no man, no political system, nothing can provide it except me. And I've come to provide it. But here's the only thing. It requires dying to self. You've got to say no to you. And you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And if you'll do that, then I am, in fact, your Messiah. And you are, in fact, in my kingdom. And you do this not by effort. You don't do this by struggle. You do it by faith. And when you know how much I have loved you, then there is a response from your heart that says, I love you because you have first loved me. And I see you as the Messiah, not the one who has come to defeat all my material enemies, but as the one who has come to win my heart. And conquer sin. And give me a new life and a new heart. So I would say to you today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Don't just give a religious answer. A Sunday school answer. Can you say. I believe. That he is in fact. God in the flesh, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, God the Son, who loved me and gave himself for me and rose again that I might have victory over sin, over death, over hell, and over myself. And I'm willing deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. That's the right answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your word. It's so challenging. It's uh, so so contradictory to the way we think. It's no wonder that Jesus said to Peter, you're, you're thinking like men. You're not thinking divine thoughts. You're, you're, not, you're not interested in God's way. You're interested in your way. And Father, I know that every one of us, I certainly fall into that category, naturally think, naturally. It is just automatic for me to go. It's the default way of thinking that I have a tendency to go to, to think in terms of protecting myself, defending myself, promoting myself. And the last thing that I would tend to think is to die to self.
But I pray that you'll help us today to realize that in your kingdom, life comes through death. Your death, but also our death to self. That the way up is down in humility. And I pray that you'll help us today to trust, to trust, to trust in you and to receive your love so we can love in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.